The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders, members, and contributors. Every week, your host, CEO of Two Small Men with Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, shines the light on a community to raise awareness of their leaders, members, and contributors. So together, we can create positive impact, inspire change, and help those in need of assistance at a grassroots level. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Welcome back to the community of Big Hearts, where we are trying to explore how to have a positive impact in our community. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've been exploring the lens of how C-19 has been impacting our communities and seeing that food has been at the heart of a lot of the people that are most impacted. So this week, I'm really excited to chat with Karen Taylor Hughes from a Winnipeg institution. They've been around since 1985, and last year, they had 11 million pounds of food move through their warehouse. I can't wait to uh, get into it with uh, Karen here, but first, Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. And, and I, can't, uh, I can't go any longer uh, here. I was hoping 11 million pounds of food. Uh, how many meals is that? Oh, my, my. That's a question that... I'm not good at math in, on the fly, so I can't answer, but it's a lot. Um, <laughs> we are the second largest food bank in the country because we serve the whole province. So 11 million pounds was a very long way to serving well over 70,000 individuals on a monthly basis. 70,000 individuals. Is that just in the greater Winnipeg area? No, that's the whole province. We have quite an established network of food banks, soup kitchens, um, when the schools are open, we provide support to meals and snacks programs, after-school programs, as well as daycares and um, some other programs specifically to adult learning in low-income areas. So we provide food support in all kinds of areas where people are most at in need and where they are struggling to make ends meet. Very impactful. But why don't we start with, um, just tell us a little bit about uh, your role at Winnipeg Harvest and how long you've been doing it? Sure. Well, it's actually, it's been for me a dream job in many ways, um, taking on the role of CEO. I've come into, as you mentioned, an institution. Harvest has been around for 35 years come July 1st. And its sole purpose was to provide food for families that are struggling to take care of themselves and feed their families. Um, And I love that it's very much about supporting anyone who needs food support. There's no barrier to saying, I need food, can you help me? We never say no. Um, and what's more, more exciting about this is I've gotten to know Harvest over the last three years of being in this role of CEO, is just the incredible community support that we get for this program. So 11 million pounds of food, as I mentioned, we're the second largest food bank in the entire country because we feed the entire province. But we're also one of the very few, I'd say one of three, out of a network of over 700 food banks, where up until now, we've never had to purchase food because both our corporate retail programs, our other food donors, and our team for the bins at events and grocery stores have allowed us to be able to collect the food that we need to share. So we are really fortunate. So coming to this organization, I've learned so much about food banking, who we serve. It's not just people that we think are down and out or living on the street. 
it's everyday people who have low income jobs and maybe big families or in debt and they decide between paying the light bill or buying a, a sandwich, they pay the light bill because they need light. So it's folks that are really what we call sometimes the working poor. So really getting a true appreciation of the work we do and that we support people through every age and circumstance of life through Harvest, which to me is really, I find the most impactful thing that if you were to talk to someone, any circumstance, pretty much any Canadian, but certainly Manitoba is about three paychecks away from using a food, a food bank. So, and we're here, we're that, we're that society catch-all to help anyone. So to me, that's been the most fun part of taking on an institution where people have worked for years to create and establish a great network of food banks and distribution points as in people's communities, as well as all the food support that we get from all kinds of food donors. As you said, it, having so much impact, I think that what we found in the last few conversations we've had in the podcast that that food is um, one of our basic needs, and it is really being disrupted um, even more so than it was before. And this need for it is, is um, excuse me, is magnified now more than ever. When I was um, doing a little bit of research, um, talking to somebody this morning about this interview I'm, I'm about to have and how excited I am, this person said to me, like, you know, I, I want you to keep this between you and me, but um, my family was supported by Winnipeg Harvest for a, a number of months and really helped us survive. And this person is an extraordinarily successful uh, member of the Winnipeg community and, and has given um, a lot back in return. So it's not just, as you said, those that are, uh, I forget the words that you use, but, but those that you would think that are, are stuck in that position, um, just this helping hand can really help somebody be successful and then give back in, in a really uh, significant way. Having met and know somebody that that you've touched their lives and impacted those so significantly. Um, I'm even more um, a fan of, of Winnipeg Harvest, so thank you. You know what, it's my pleasure, and we are serving to serve, and you're right, it's, it's, it's so impactful. There are stories we see children and families. It, it, it does, it makes your, your heart just swell, for example, talk about big hearts. We recently had a radiothon that we didn't know how it was going to go. And we had two donors set up some money for matching. And we raised over $300,000 in a day. And that is how, like people don't understand it. We're so passionate about what we do here. When that happened, we had to find, even now I'm getting all teary up, teared up again. We were literally had goosebumps and we're almost in tears. Like we thought, oh my goodness, people feel the passion and the need and the, and the fact that everyone could help, even if it's $10, if everyone gives something, then it all goes a long way. So we were really moved by that. So we're, we're, we're lucky to serve, but we're happy that people want to see that their role of food, especially at this time, has become so important. And that harvest has been a real um, pivotal point in that in our province. And we just really appreciate the, the support that we've gotten for that. Can you tell us, I, I had heard from somebody that um, the money that gets donated to Winnipeg Harvest, it, it gets magnified in terms of the value of food that ends up getting to those in need. Um, so 
do you have any stats on like if one dollar is donated, um, uh, how efficiently is that spent? Well, there's different ways of looking at it and things have changed, especially now, because now we are purchasing food. So that's sort of not an accurate thing anymore because we just don't do that. But in terms of, we certainly are making the best opportunities and deals we can. So we're not paying retail pricing, but when you, the fact that we can, you know, create these hampers and our hampers are pretty substantial these days. They're about 40 pounds of a variety of items that we are providing up to 10 to 14 days of food support for families. Um, you know, we are able to take what might cost $140 or $104, depending on the comp within it that day, and spend a, a fraction of that to make it get that far because we are able to buy in bulk makes a huge difference. So definitely we're leveraging our dollars. And I know people always ask the question, well, how much did you spend on operations? People always find that's a real sticky thing. And we're trying to be as transparent as possible. Up until COVID, um, traditionally we have spent for every dollar, 93 cents goes to moving food through our network, through our doors and out to the community. So we're only taking seven cents of every dollar to manage what we call overhead. Right. So that's pretty efficient. Extraordinarily efficient. I know running a, an organization, what goes into uh, the administration uh, and on our side it's far more than than seven percent um, just to keep everything coordinated and, and moving and, and uh, um, uh, operating smoothly um, so that's very commendable and anyone who's donating should be very comforted by that fact that it's getting to those people at the uh, that need it most efficiently yeah thank you yeah we work really hard i don't know if you know but there was an article in the paper a few months back when COVID hit and the schools closed, we have a very robust school education program. And as a result, we've had, we had a small team that worked in the school systems, that was their only job. And because that was their role, um, we had to lay them off because schools were closed. But I felt that we had to be prudent and we had to be um, diligent with how we spent our dollars and I didn't, and I, so we did lay them off. They were okay with that. Um, and hopefully they'll come back once schools get back into session. But we want to make sure that we were using our dollars wisely. We take it very seriously, being very, very efficient with what we use, what we get. Yeah, these times um, obviously aren't normal. And you have to make some decisions that you usually wouldn't have to. That's a, a good segue into um, something I wanted to ask is what, what troubles are you seeing uh, right now? Um, and, and how is that affecting? So how is uh, C19 affecting your organization in terms of demand and supply and any other way that, that um, you've, you've seen? Well, in terms of running an organization and what we've seen since the early part of March, we've completely changed our business in terms of what we do and how we do it. So first of all, if you've ever been down to harvest on any normal given day, it's kind of like coming to a drop-in center. The place is buzzing full of people. We have a community kitchen where we provide meals for lunch and breakfast, a hot meal for folks that may not get it if they're on their own. It's just a hub of activity here, just a hive. It's full of people from all walks of life, every ethnicity, and everyone just feels very valued and treasured and comfortable being here. Um, 
once COVID hit, we realized that we could not have everyone in, in here because of social distancing and just spread. So we actually had to lock our doors. We had a small food bank on site where we handed out emergency food. We closed that as well moved it into the community and several other sites. So all of a sudden from being this open, feel free to come in and help have a, give a helping hand, we had to lock our doors. Then we had to um, figure out all the protocols to ensure that our staff would come to work to help us make sure that we continue to feed people that need support. So that was my biggest concern still is that our staff feel safe being in our buildings. They can go home to their families and not feel they need to stay home to stay safe. So we, we took some extraordinary measures very early on. By the end of week one, we did our lockdown, changed all of our protocols around hand washing, social distancing, which had a huge impact on our volunteer capacity. So we were deemed an essential service. So we were able to have people in the building more than 10, but they had to be socially distanced to do what they had to do. And traditionally, we would fill orders on a pallet and give food to food banks and they would put them out sort of like a shopping model. People would come and pick what they wanted. So it would be a little bit more, a little bit more dignified for folks instead of saying, oh, so if here's your, here's your thing, go away. But we realized that we couldn't do that anymore because we didn't have the capacity to make that happen. So it's, so it's a few volunteers. We traditionally have 200 volunteers a day come through our building and we're down to 25 each shift. So we're down about 75% of our volunteers. Um, and our staff is down to about 30. So we're very, very small. So we had to um, change all the protocols and actually change what we do. So we actually decided to go back to a hamper model and go to an assembly line setup. So we've been doing that for the last nine or so weeks. Um, and we found that it's been very well received by our food bankers who host food banks in the community because they're easily can pass them off to folks on the table without having to, and they can socially distance. And we've got such a wide variety of what we put in these hampers now. People are very happy with them and are feeling very well supported. So we've changed everything and we've realized that the hamper model is a really great way for us to go moving forward. So I reached out to a connection I have at Boeing. I thought, who do we know that this assembly line? Boeing. And we said, would you help us review what we've done to make sure this is the best setup for us? Literally, they wanted to come the same day I called them, but we were busy. So they came the next day and they were like, fantastic. So again, that being sort of that iconic organization and doing good, I can reach out to folks like Boeing and say, can you help us with an assembly line there here the next day? So um, we've changed everything and we're learning as we go still. And, but this is gonna be our new normal. We're gonna have small number of volunteers. We're gonna be doing the hamper model. We've got no school program. We had a very robust training program that now is closed while businesses are still either shut down or just reopening slowly. We hope to get back to in months to come. But our business has completely changed. Would you say that the, uh, the new model that you're doing, the, the assembly line, is uh, more efficient uh, in terms of delivering food to food banks than, than the previous model? I would say yes. I understand why, I think we all started out in the hamper model and we wanted to move away from that so it didn't feel so much like you were just given whatever you got. But because we worked hard to make sure they've got a wide assortment of both non-perishables, perishables around produce, dairy, we partnered with Manitoba um, 
chicken producers, they get chicken, we've got eggs, we've got a variety of really good options for people. So I think people, even though everyone gets the same standard package, there's such a variety and people are really happy. So we're far more efficient and people are happy with their results. So I think it's, it's made us far, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now with the increased numbers without, without doing this. It's one of our first guests on this podcast talked about how uh, constraints are the mother of innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great example of that, that through crisis and constraint, um, you've innovated. Um, and, and those that um, have a passion for their cause are going to find a way. And, and mm-hmm. it's uh, amazing to hear that you guys are operating uh, even leaner and more efficient now through this than you were before. Yeah, I'm really fortunate, as I mentioned, we've got very passionate staff, and we actually call ourselves a crew, which stands for compassionate, respectful, exceptional, and welcoming, and they have really gone above and beyond to be here, to work long days, helping make all these things happen, so we've been really fortunate. Were there any, um, other than finding these, you know, efficiencies, were there any uh, benefits that you're seeing through this in terms of like so we've we've spoken to some some restaurateurs we've talked to some some marketing agencies in the in the food space and we found that a common um, major issue was that because the restaurants are closed the whole supply chains affected and now farm some farmers are even um, in some areas burying some of their food because they just they can't justify getting that food out because there just is nobody to buy it. Is that, is that a, a benefit for you guys where you're able to capitalize on even cheaper food right now? Well, you mentioned two things and there's so many different impacts, hard to remember them all, but definitely one was supply chain. And being in the middle of the country um, in Manitoba, we felt at first across the entire food bank network that right away, I believe it was like March 9th, we get a lot of food through our corporate retail program. And I remember I went downstairs and I went, where's the food? There was just nothing coming in for the first week and a half, nothing at all. And for us, that's, our, that's where we get a big chunk of our $11 million comes through the corporate retail program. So we were challenged right up front. We reached out to our regular sources, our retail partners to help us try and get some food. Well, even if we have to buy it, we'll take it. It was impossible. They weren't able to meet their supply demands because what would happen was, as they know how what buying habits are like in Winnipeg or across our province, they they book all of their food months and months in advance based on previous history. Well, it, very quickly, people were sort of hoarding and buying a lot of food. They were spending what could be spent over a month or two months. People were buying up in two days. So very quickly. Our supply in Manitoba ran out and we weren't able to get the retail store. So we had to source through wholesalers across the country, mostly out east, to get food in because there was no way, there's no one here. And to this day, we're not purchasing food through our retail suppliers because they still are trying to meet their own needs. So on the farming side, certainly because of the restaurant business, we've had lots of great calls. One of our first ones was Manitoba Chicken. Um, you know, they have a lot of chicken that goes through the different venues and different channels. They had a surplus of chicken that was available. They provided to us in one bulk. 
thing and they did a partnership long-term, which is amazing. Um, egg producers called us. They too have a surplus of eggs that we were able to be the recipient of that through a donation. Um, so because we were purchasing food and the federal government has given us some funds, I thought instead of just buying out of East, out of these wholesalers, why don't we reach out to the ag producers and through Manitoba Food and Beverage Association and figure out who's got products that we could probably use in our hampers and let's buy local. So the last two weeks I've been spending doing that, contacting these folks and, and coming up with ways that we can support them to keep them going while also then getting food items into our hampers. So that's been really helpful. Um, there are a lot of things that there are some things where you hear more in other provinces, but people think it's Manitoba. So dairy producers, we've had a long-standing relationship with the dairy producers where we, for almost 28 years, get free milk from them that goes to the processors for milk and for cheese. So there's not a lot of dumping going on in Manitoba, but I heard there's still a little bit because the demand is low. So we're we're, we've now partnered again with them and one of the producers, processors, to help us actually get some more product through that we will support um, to keep them going as well. So wherever I can find here of a need, I'm able to reach out and because Harvest is a great name, people are happy to work with us and we're trying to contact as many folks as we can to see how we can support and buy local and support local because they supported us when we needed help. So we're doing the best that we can to help them. I'm glad that you've been able to uh, at least help balance off some of that shortage on the other side where the, the grocery stores are soaking up some of that demand. Um, where do you guys see yourself going from here? Um, do you have a plan going forward or is it that it's just too uncertain and you're going to pivot as things come your way? Well, we're good at pivoting, I can tell you that. We pivoted very quickly. <laughs> But um, so we, in our first two weeks, we track every day who we serve and we, we, we projected or forecasted a 30% increase by the end of um, March, early April. And that's what we saw. Right now we're in a bit of a cooling off period because we've had such a flood into the economy of federal funding for those that can access it legitimately and those that have even though they can't. So, um, so the good news is on that front, folks that don't, the people that have funds aren't coming to the food bank. So people think people abuse the system and we're seeing that people are not coming for some of their appointments because they've taken these other funds. So, which is great. So if they have money, then they shouldn't be there if they can make their, meet, meet their needs. But we're also terrified of the fact that when those federal funds dry up and all the deferred payments start to come due, let's start paying those plus keep up with their daily day-to-day bills. We're anticipating another huge spike. At this point, we can't even quantify what that is. We're very nervous about it. Um, we're trying to do some modeling with Stats Canada and Manitoba and figure out what we learned from the recession in 2008. 2008, up until 2011, we saw an increase of 58% food bank use that stayed. So prior to 2008, we were, all, we were less than half of what we currently serve or served at the time when COVID started, which was 70,000. Um, so we're, we're terrified that that might actually happen because that would mean that we would be in the business of probably purchasing food all the time like other food banks because the demand would just be too high. 
So if that's the case, we'd have to definitely look at continuing our model the way it is and figuring how we can finance that and um, ensure that we will continue the flow of food. So it is quite concerning. Um, we're definitely keeping our eyes and ears to the ground. We talk and work with our shelter network across the city and they too are seeing sort of the same extent of things. There's a big surge kind of plateaued at the moment and some areas dipped a little bit, but they know it's going to come back and it's going to come back really strong. And, and we're anticipating probably July, August, it'll start to really hit us and then get really hard through the fall. So we're just trying to live and learn the best we can and be ready for whatever comes. That is uh, fairly concerning. Um, I'm fairly, uh, I'm comforted by how calm you are and concise you are at explaining uh, this issue and that you have, um, you have this, you're navigating it as you go. How can others help Winnipeg Harvest through this, um, especially if we're, if we're projecting that July becomes a significant increase in demand? Is it money? Is it volunteering? Um, for those that, that can't give money, what can they give? Well, I think it's a variety of things. So definitely funds are always great because we do have to purchase food. Um, great outpouring and even if you can't give today you can give next month or the month after or even become a monthly donor even if you give like ten dollars a month that's the beauty of manitoba if everybody gave something it goes a very long way for us so that's definitely one way of doing it um there are lots of community food drives and we've seen some that have brought in over a thousand pounds of food so we, on our website, we have a link of what we're putting into our hampers and some of those non-perishables, so canned goods, like canned protein and beans and soup, et cetera. So that's a very great thing to do in a community that doesn't require tech to be in contact. Folks are sending out notes to people and they come by in their cars, they put it on their front doorstep, they pick it up and they bring it to harvest or they back it in and then we take it out of the car, so completely socially distanced lots of food drives going on or people doing activities and raising funds, whether it's a workout session or something, lots of creative ways, selling, selling something. If you have a small business where you're selling something, you want to give us some of the proceeds to harvest. We put that on our website and share it to our Instagram, all of our um, social, all of our social media channels so that people can see that and support it and get your name out. We do all those things to help folks that are trying to help us. Um, and volunteering, if you're able-bodied and healthy, we have a health waiver that you have to form, sign before you come in. You have to then follow our protocols around hand washing, social distancing, etc. But we are open now three evenings a week and every day in the morning and the afternoon and all day Saturday. So we have lots of volunteer shifts on our website you can go and sign up for. But that's a really key thing because if the demand goes up, we're going to be really stretched to continue to create. Right now, we're about a thousand hampers a day. And if that were to go up even more, we would be really pressed. We might have to open up every evening to just make sure we can meet the demand. That will definitely be one of those ways. So that's what I love about Harvest as well. Anyone can give. We have kids that broke their piggy banks open and sent us a check from their mom and dad for like $40. 
Let forty dollars to me is as precious as someone who can give us four hundred thousand dollars and it's a drop in the bucket. Because it's very important to them. And kids want to give back, so we're really happy about that and we hear those stories. So anyone can help in any way at all. I, I know my daughter's uh, she she loves listening to this podcast. Uh, and then I think that this uh, particular conversation she's gonna get uh, really involved in it and wanna pitch in some of her allowance. Um, so we'll, we'll be excited to be doing that and I'll certainly be topping it up to, to help out. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. But what, one of the things that I read recently, what, it was the largest um, happiness study ever done. And it was done by Harvard. And, and they tested, I can't remember how many people and, and, and how exactly the process worked, but the, the outcome was that the people, what was clear about the study was the people that were happiest were those that gave without expectation. Mm-hmm. That, so I think that this cause um, that, that you're heading up and um, how impactful the money um, can be for your organization in 93% of that money going to the people um, at the end that really need it. And that you're leveraging your networks and, and making those dollars be magnified in terms of retail value, that there are a few better places right now to donate this money. And, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the phone here and I'm going to make sure that my family uh, has some, some impact here uh, as soon as we get off the phone. But um, yeah, really appreciate what you do, Karen. Um, one of the things that I wanted to see if you could use was um, help from, from moving trucks and drivers. Mm-hmm. If getting the food transported to different locations, if that's a cost that's on your books, we would love to help out, donate. Um, right now, we, we typically do once a month, um, move of the month, Big Hearts Move of the Month program where we help in our community. And we've just made a commitment to double those efforts for the rest of the year um, for a cause that's, that's uh, needed, especially ones in food and shelter where we get to affect. And, and I can't think of a better cause. So if that's something that's um, of use, we, we would love to talk to you after about how we can help. Oh, that's fantastic. We are also, we do have move a lot of food. We have a fleet of trucks. And most of them are, are driven by our volunteers. We just don't have enough manpower to do all the driving. So we are always in need of trucks and drivers. So definitely we'll talk about that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, we'll line up something after. We're, we're part of a program, a network of movers called Move for Hunger. Um, mm-hmm. It's an organization founded by a moving company in the Northwest, uh, Northeast United States out of New Jersey. And they grew from just supporting their state to North America. And they're moving millions of pounds a month. And so we, we have a unique ability to be able to capture our customers in a time where they may not want some of this extra food uh, lying around. Um, mm-hmm. And when we can say how impactful this food can be, we, we give them a box and we set it aside and we deliver to food banks after we, we get enough stored at the office of, of non-perishables. So it's something that our teams really get behind and, and feel uh, connected to and we're, we're proud to be doing it. That's fantastic. 
That's, I never even thought about that. I mean, people are so creative. They think of great ways to get food and funds. And that's a brilliant side move. And I had to empty my cupboards and don't know what to do with all this food. What a brilliant idea. Well, thank you. That was my idea. We're just, we're just, uh, <laughs> we're just executing on it. So, um, Karen, is there anything else that you'd like to share to the listeners about Winnipeg Harvest or, or yourself? Um, I would say definitely we're very passionate and committed. So we, we've been here every day. We've always come to work and we'll continue to come to work. But again, the work that we do could not be done without support through number one, our food bank network, which are run mostly by volunteers all across the province. So they do a tremendous job and they're very warm and caring about their neighbors. And I love that our, it's all about communities helping each other. So we're helping folks there. Um, our network of volunteers are amazing and we're getting new ones all the time. So thank them for their commitment to coming in and helping us do something again that we could not do alone. And then raising up the funds. You mentioned your children. I have so many stories of parents that tell me about parent kids who do um, chores at home and they get a little pool of money to do things like go to movies and things. And this one couple, they have three kids. And for the month of April, they did all their chores and raised all this money. And they said, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to go to, you know, we can't go anywhere, but do you want to like rent a special movie or something? And they said, no, we want to give it to Harvest. And their family matched it. And they gave us a check for their, all the three, a month's worth of, of uh, allowance from three children. To me, that's a very touching story. And that someone small can have such a big impact. And that's the beauty of Harvest. So anything is, any gift is, is big to us and we appreciate it. And we just thank you. And remember that COVID, even if you go back to work, it will still live on for years. For many people will struggle to get out of whatever financial constraints they're in, which of course is very stressful on them physically, mentally, on their families. Children being at home for long extended times is very hard on families as well. So I think I would just say to people, you know, think about your fellow neighbors. When you see them, give them a wave, be hot, be nice. You know, we talk about all these commercials about Canadians, you know, singing songs and being kind to each other. I think we really have to be now because people are stressed. They're worried about paying their bills, covering their meals, and when will this change? So we just try and be positive and we thank everyone for all they're doing. And we will continue doing what we're doing. I think together we can all get through it and be, nourish our communities. So that's what we'll continue to do. So thank you for, get, for inviting me on as a guest to share our story about the incredible work that we do here and get to be a part of. It's my pleasure, Karen. Uh, I love that, that comment. Think about your neighbors. It, uh, it, it can be anybody. Um, so yeah. really implore everybody to help out as much as you can in your community. Uh, thank you to you and your team, Karen. And, uh, and hopefully we'll run into you soon. I hope so. Please come down for a visit whenever you feel free and feel comfortable doing so. We'd love to show you what we do here. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll we'll be by soon. Thank you, Karen. Great, thank you. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Community of Big Hearts with Stu Starkey. If you know someone in your community who is a leader doing great things and driving change, a contributor who is on a passionate mission to help their community through a nonprofit or a foundation, or a community member just doing their part to make their community a better place, please send Stu an email and let him know Maybe they can be featured on a future episode of the Community of Big Hearts. You can email Stu at Stu at TwoSmallMen.com. Again, that's Stu at TwoSmallMen.com. Thank you again for listening.